Welcome to Mutterings from a Bald Guy podcast. My name is Chet, your host. You will find sermons and teachings that put Scripture in its rightful place of authority on this podcast. If you like this episode or any, could you tap five stars and leave me a review? When you tap those stars and leave a review, that significantly helps me spread more salt in our morally decaying world. Hey, let's bring life to the dead together. And so we're really going to start off with one of the first messages of this series, but it's all going to come together. We're going to teach on part 24 tonight, and then the next time we meet, we will be on part 25, which will be the final part. Um, Now, what that part is going to basically be is I'm going to have some video because I want us to understand how to incorporate these tools we've been learning in our conversations. We are living in a day where tracks don't work. You don't leave tracks on the urinal anymore like in the 80s, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. You go on a mission trip, and you leave a track, and you say, yep, share the gospel. Share the gospel, Uh, (laughs) y'all. We are living in a world where people are craving conversation. Um, Unbelievers, non-believers, people who do not believe in Jesus Christ are searching desperately for hope, and many of them don't know that they're searching for hope, but they are because we see it flesh out in all areas of their life. Either they're consumed with money or consumed with power, consumed with greed, consumed with wealth, consumed with lust. Whatever it may be, we're seeking out um, hope. We're seeking out something more than ourselves. So they need to hear this. So what we're going to do is go full circle. I'm going to talk about the early church because it is important we talk about the early church because eventually us in America will become the early church. Uh, It's only a matter of time before we... Uh, face fear and intimidation unlike we've ever seen before. And I know there's an argument out there that says we are facing fear and intimidation right now, but it is not even close to what the early church experienced on that level. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, I will start off this message by saying, I just saw a video clip, and I don't know the context of this, but I don't need to know the context of this because this should never happen in a church. There's a very, very well-known televangelist who held some type of service at his church, and the moderator or whoever it was in the video was egging on the church to say, let's go, Brandon. Now, let's go back for a minute. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, let me just pose a question. Is that, is that kind of chanting with the political heat it brings um, respectful in the church? No, not at all. Not even close. Not even an illustration to laugh about. See, there has become... Um, this entwisting and trenching of policy and politics along with 
Protestants and church. And we've gotten to a place where when we come to church, we come with everything that we are, our upbringing, our history, our background, our context. And of course, everybody has a political leaning. We have that right as American citizens. But we do not have that right as a child of God to walk in a church and do something like that. Because there are people sitting next to you who may not know Christ. And so what are we doing, right? So that, that in my mind, is the ultimate evil, is when a believer uses a political platform to make someone else, else's name known. That's evil. That is completely evil. You would not see the early church do that, and you would not see Christians who were rooted in God's word do that at all, no matter how heated the topics uh, may be. Now, should we have these conversations and arguments and debates over these issues? Absolutely. Should Christians be involved in those debates? Yes, because we need a Christian worldview and we need a Christian ethical system in every facet of our lives. No doubt. In government and policy, everything. We need that. Um, but church service is not a way for that. That is evil. So let's walk through this. I want to give you a little context. So roughly 2,000 years ago, Peter composed this letter to a Christian community. All right. Um, we don't really know if it was a specific church. It was more than likely a circulatory letter, which meant uh, one Christian community would read it and then another Christian community would read it. So he's talking to a general area, all right? And he was encouraging them not to give up. This particular community was suffering grave persecution. The reason we know that is because he says it. They were experiencing physical, psychological pressures to conform to their old way of life. So picture this for a minute. You're living in an era where religion, authority, and government basically all come together and it's one powerhouse, okay? And you have a certain way, you have a certain religion, you have certain idols, you have a certain way of worshiping. This becomes your life. This is, becomes who you are. This is your family. This is how you're raised. And then Christ comes and says, hey, I'm calling you out of that to be with me. And everybody hates you for it. Basically, they hate you so much that they want to take away your lifestyle. They want to take away your finances. They want to take away your freedom. They want to take away everything you have and everything you own because you don't line up with their belief. It can be physical. King Nero was around this. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. King Nero, how many of you guys heard of King Nero? Anybody? A couple, few? Um, it would have been around this time that Peter wrote this letter. King Nero actually, towards the end of his reign, lit Christians on fire in his garden to provide light. So this is a kind of extremism that, that we're seeing during this time. Just to give you a little context, um, we do know this. Peter's audience seems to be on the brink of giving up. I mean, let's be honest. It's human nature. If we were in that position, we would be faced with the same types of emotions. See, Peter has fight in him, uh, and actually we'll see Sunday, we're, I'm preaching through John 18, and we'll see Peter had fight in him whenever Jesus was being taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has fight in him now. Just not the same type of fight. Peter's a little older, he's a little more wise, he's wiser, he's a little more uh, mature in his faith, and so there's a few things. Peter could have launched a battle cry speech. He could have said, this is your tactic, this is how you attack, gather together, grab everyone together and attack them. All bets are off, right? All kind of warfare. Whatever you want to do, go after the jugular. I mean, just get them. Beat them down to where they don't have anything left. 
Peter could have told them to fight fire with fire. With fight fire with fire. But this is what the old and mature Peter did. He said, but in your hearts, first he said, do not fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Would you think the Peter of, at, in the Garden of Gethsemane would probably write a different letter than this? He, he would probably have some war tactics intact, right? But instead, Peter made sure that this was done with love and compassion and not laying over, not bending over and letting someone overtake you. No, he said, be prepared, ready at any time. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 35. I believe this is what Peter had in his mind at this time. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, this is Jesus, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. This, my friends, is an example of losing your life. Losing your life. Think about your lifestyle being threatened, your family being threatened, your way of life, everything you know, everything you have known being uprooted and changed. That would be like the Virginia government coming through the doors on Sunday morning saying this church is closed down. As soon as you leave, we're burning it and you're not going to meet again. Then what do you do? Well, you start meeting in secret because that's what Christians do. But you have to admit Us watching this church burn down would be a very, very tough time because in that moment, you would imagine some emotions come and you start thinking, wow, the the state of Virginia has got a lot of power. Maybe I should go get my rifle. Maybe I should go get my gun. But no, what does Peter say? But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense. There are two crucial truths here. God called them, meaning them, the community, and cause us as a community to declare his praises to the world. Do you know what makes us strong? Each other. Each other. Do you know what Satan wants more than anything? For us to be divided. I was talking with a really good friend of mine. Actually, it was a friend that we used to sell dope together. And uh, his name is Manny Vera. Manny is about, I think he's about three years younger than me. And Manny used to push the drugs I sold. That's the truth. Manny called me today. He said, and we've been keeping up through the years. He said, he said uh, Pastor Chet, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, man, come on, tell me. He said, well, he said, I preached my first sermon a few months ago. And he said, my pastor walked up to me and wants to hire me and my wife full time, a wife as a, uh, an assistant, full time to be the children's pastor. And I said, well, ain't that something, brother? Two dope heads in ministry. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and so we just had a, we had a good time together. And, and he said, well, I thought, I thought you would appreciate that. I said, I more than appreciate that, man. I'm ecstatic right now. This is amazing. And so God is good and God is faithful. But we are a, communi- a community together. We declare his praises together. The second truth is that we are to live lives so noble that we positively impact nonbelievers. And this is a hard one. So noble. Okay, what, what do nonbelievers think of the church today? That the hypocrite one is funny. Everybody I talk to mentions that. And I started telling them, I said, you know what? You're right. We are a bunch of hypocrites. You can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I said, as a matter of fact, any place you go in any building you walk in, you will find hypocrites, right? 
what is this defense? What does this defense mean? Let's look at it. In our hearts regard Christ as holy. So why would we need to make a defense for this Christ, this Lord who is holy inside of us? Why, why would we need to make a defense? Defense is apologia. It's the word we get from apologetics. Um, it means to give a defense. Why, why would Peter say, be ready to give a defense? We should not want to go to an, an intellectual brawl, but we should be prepared to be humble-minded and level-headed in our conversations with people. Do you see the contrast between verses 14 and 15? Peter says, do not fear them or be intimidated. And then he says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. So they had a choice to make. Either they succumb to fear or revere Christ as Lord. Either they succumb to fear or revere Christ as Lord, trusting that he is ultimately in control. So give a defense is apologia in the Koine Greek. It's, it's, Koine Greek is what the New Testament was written in. And so that's where we get apologetics. And I'm going to explain uh, a, a great definition for that in a minute. But it means defending oneself and making a formal justification. So Peter's saying you need to defend yourself, that you don't just say this is what I believe. No, you say this is what I believe and why, and I'm going to justify it by these reasons. What reasons do you think he's talking about? The gospel reasons, the foundational principles of, of us being dead in sin, right? And then Jesus being our, redemp- our redemption, our salvation in our sin, all right? Those are the foundational principles of the gospel. So to f- defend that. And what is this hope in us? What is this hope? This hope is Jesus. Now, th- this, is, this is the scary part for me, and I'll be honest with you. There's great opportunity in this postmodern world we live in, but there's also some great challenges, because I am forever meeting Christians, even in seminary, who are not willing to step out and have these hard conversations with people. The day of, I believe this because I was taught it as a child is over, y'all. If y'all wanna reach the hearts of the generation today, you have to be willing to engage in conversation for a long periods of time. There's so much, we call it the hermeneutic of skepticism. Say it with me, hermeneutic of skepticism. That's what this world is. You know what that means? That means everyone is skeptical of anything authoritative and religious. You guys notice that? Absolutely, especially the younger people. They're skeptical of all things. Oh, don't talk to me about religion. That's hogwash. Don't talk to me about God's authority. That, you can't prove that. They're skeptical about it all, so we need to be willing to engage in those conversations. So in verse 16, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So Peter set the tone for apologetic conversations by giving a persecuted community hope. Do you think Peter, as he was writing this, might have been thinking about how hard it is for the Christians he's writing to? He had them in mind. Peter did not tell them to throw intellectual knockout punches, y'all. He gave them level-headed instructions like gentleness, respect, clear conscience, good behavior. Imagine with me for a minute that someone in the community or the government sends you a letter in the mail and says, hey, check it out. If you want to be a Christian, 
I'm taking 50% of your retirement. I'm taking 50% of your income. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to start knocking your groceries down a little bit. You can, only, you, you can only spend this much money on groceries each week. What do you do? Do you succumb in fear? Do you say, well, I got to eat, so I, I, better, I better succumb, right? Think about the radicals in the community threatening your family because of your faith. Think about the malicious attacks on your property or lifestyle if this were to happen. Peter called the Christian community to reasoned answers, a humble spirit, and joy. I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I, I tell you, I pray, I was talking with Manny today, and I pray that the day that that happens, if I'm alive, that I have the strength to do what I know I need to do, because God, and this is contradictory to the health and wealth gospel, when God calls you <laughs> and, and God calls you out of the world whenever he saves you, okay, when God calls you out of the world, he doesn't call us out of the world to be prosperous. He calls us out of the world to be a light. But what do, we kind of get that backwards in cultural Christianity in America. We think if we're a Christian, then that means we must really, we, we must get a better promotion. We must get more money and all these things. But that's just not the truth. If the early Christians were struggling to survive, what makes us think that that's not going to happen to us one day? We're not some privileged generation. We're sinful human beings, just like the beginning of time, whenever that decision was made to disobey God. And so we need to be prepared. So this approach, all right, when Peter said he calls the community to reason, answers, humble spirit, and joy, this is called apologetics at the cross. So let's go through a few points real quick. God called you for today. Don't forget that. You're living in 2021 for a purpose and a reason, and he has you where you are for a reason. So my question to you is, do you know what he's called you to do? Do you know where he's called you to be? And are you living that out every day? Two, don't make the world your home. I know that's hard. It's hard because the world is where we, we can hold on to tangible things. The world is where we have our, our family. The world is where we have our jobs and our desires and our hobbies and all these things. But we have to be careful as Christians. We're not called to make the world our home. We're called on borrowed time to be in the world for his praises and his glory. The cross and conversations. If you guys notice, if you've been around for any amount of time, you would notice that at some point in the message, I make a beeline to the cross, to the gospel. That is very important. When you're in conversation with other people, you need to make a beeline to the cross. You don't have to be fancy and have these great transitional statements. <laughs> you don't have to say things like, oh, I see you're eating chocolate. Do you know who's the sugar of the world, right? I mean, you don't have to do any of that fancy stuff. You just prayerfully enter into the conversations that you have and, and go to the cross. I, I want to explain something really quick because th this is big, y'all. And if we don't get a grip on this right now, it, it, this is really going to turn out bad. Politics and Jesus don't mix, y'all. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. As a matter of fact, if you pay careful attention to Jesus's conversations with those in political power, you will notice that he is always asking very pointed questions to them. In love, but in a very direct way. 
What do you think he's trying to get at? Number one, he's showing those in power and authority are important enough for him to spend his time on and ask them these questions. And number two, he's trying to get to their heart. Jesus' purpose and mission was to come so that people can be saved through his ransom. That should be our purpose. Get politics out. You know, this, this has been a, just a sore in my, like I've been having a brain tumor these last couple of years because when I listen to some preachers online and I listen to some of my friends on social media, I think, man, like, are, am I really witnessing this right now? Because y'all, I'm going to tell y'all, if China were to take over tomorrow, we'd be part of the Chinese government. But we're still Christian. If Russia were to take over tomorrow, we'd be Russian, but we'd still be Christian. This idea of America being entrenched in the gospel is false, y'all. It's not an American gospel. It's a Jesus gospel. And that is it. So be careful with that. And in your conversations, understand that people are probably going to be really hot-headed about politics and just love them anyway. It's okay. It's okay for someone to think differently. Hey, I know, I know, I know. But you're trying, and that's what matters. That's what matters. Uh, I wanted to show you guys this because I know this has been a really long series, and every one of them, pretty much every one of them, unless we watch videos, is on here. Um, so if you just Google mutterings from a bald guy, everything that I've done comes up, okay? I tried it. I wanted to make sure. Um, and this is probably something that I will let the church know as well. I, I carefully documented these segments because I think it's very important. And I think it's, I think it's worth people's time um, because we, we have come into a place in our world where we need to be equipped with the scripture, we need to be equipped with understanding our culture, understanding the heart of the people that's in the culture so we can reach them. I'm going to give you just a quick illustration, and then I'll close in prayer. When you go on a mission trip to another country, what's one of the first things you do? You study the culture, right? Because when you go there, you want to connect with the people there. If you study the culture and you find out that they love tea, where you're going to be prepared to have conversation over tea. That's their culture. Well, if we focus so much on other people's culture to reach them, then we should do the same where we live. And we should be willing to meet people where they are, especially with our children and grandchildren. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't know how y'all do it, you grandparents in the room, but I'm imagining myself in 40 years, I ain't going to know what's going on. I mean, as fast as things change, y'all must be spinning all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm 33 and I'm barely keeping up, okay? So I can just about imagine what it's going to be whenever I'm a grandparent. Um, but it's even more important for you guys because y'all have lived one way and then all of a sudden the last 20 years have been like, what happened? You know, there's words I hear youth talk about today. I'm like, what? Is that like new phonics? Did we come up with a new language? You know, what's going on here? But anyway... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, and, and thank you so much, Father, for who you are. Lord, we pray um, that you would help us to engage in conversation, that we would look for those opportunities, God, that we would look for those opportunities to engage in conversation. And Father, I just pray that um, us in here and that those who come to this church each week would not be afraid to engage in those conversations and to invite their friends and family. Father, we share the gospel here. And Father, we are very, um, very careful 
about how we do that and when we do that. And we want to make sure everybody who walks through this door knows that they have an opportunity to accept your son, Jesus, as their Savior. And Lord, we just thank you for that truth. We thank you for that freedom. And I thank you for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord. I just pray that you bless them in a very special way tonight. It's in your name I pray. Amen.